0: We started this morning a series that, that we, we sort of equated to putting together a puzzle and how when you go to put together a puzzle, you, you look at the front of the box and you, a, you see what the design is supposed to be. You see, what's the picture look like? How do I fit all the pieces together and all that? And so the idea is that if we go back to Genesis, back to the first few chapters, when God was creating the earth and beginning these different things, we'll see what the picture on the box is supposed to be. Now, granted, we have to realize that, that our world and our lives are really, when it comes right down to it, at our at our basic fundamental nature, we're nowhere close to the box. We have we have intentionally moved away from the box because of our sin. That's that's the truth, and yet God gives us through the grace and through the cross, uh, you know, uh, and mercy that that you know, Jesus went to the cross and died and all that he gives us a chance to get back to the box. And I, and I really don't understand why he does all that, because that's incredible love that I can't even get, really get my mind around. But he gives us a chance to get back to the box. And so we're going to look over the next few weeks at sort of the design, what it's supposed to be, and and how can we at least attempt here on earth, this side of heaven, to move back toward the original design. And so we'll we'll talk about things like God's original design for marriage. What is it supposed to be? And how can you, whether you are in a marriage relationship right now or not, how can you, in, in where we are, promote those types of, of relationships, be they in your family or, or in your own marriage or with your kids or grandkids or whomever you're around, how can we get people to go back to what the picture is supposed to look like? And, and we'll talk about how we've messed up the picture on the box. We'll talk about the beginning of sin and, and what sort of is the root of that. We know the story, obviously, and we'll get to that, but what's the root? And so we'll do that over the next few weeks. And and, and one question that that is answered in Genesis that that we probably don't voice in this particular way because this sort of is an elementary way to say things, but in some sense we have all either wondered or spent our lives trying to find out, though we might not admit it, why on earth am I here? What, What am I doing here? And, and, and again, you may not be verbally asking that question. You may have settled that in your mind. You may have a good idea of why you think you're here. But at one time or another, we have either verbally asked that question or sought answers to that by filling our lives with certain things that we think sort of echo or mirror the purpose for which we were created. For example, many of you, if I were to come to you and ask you, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, the first thing or one of the first things you'll tell me is either what you do for a living or what you did for a living, if you're now retired. And so we, we typically equate my purpose, our purpose, with what I get paid to do. And that's pretty easy to, to think about, because if you don't show up and do what that purpose is supposed to be, you ain't getting paid. You're not going to have your job very long. And so we immediately begin to, to, to think that. Plus, we, we take some great value, uh, not only monetarily, but just pride-wise. We, we take pride from what we do, and that's not always a bad thing. We're proud of the work that we're able to do, what we're able to contribute. The The problem comes in when we equate ourselves only then, obviously, with what we do for a living or what we did for a living, because at some point, you're not going to do something for a living. Uh, I, I think of people, and, and in particular in, in our family, I think of the fact that, that Nancy stays at home with our children. Uh, and, and, you know, she does not technically bring home a paycheck for that. Uh, those folks who are retired and are no longer at the place of business or Work or whatever you used to do. Those of you that maybe are not able to work, but you'd like to, but you're not able to. How then do you get value and how do you how do you have any sort of purpose if you're not out making money doing something? So that, that's sort of the idea. <clears throat> God's original design for us and our purpose was not with the first thing in mind that if you if you fulfill your purpose, then you're going to get paid for it, and that's really your purpose. I had a conversation with. Somebody the other day, and, and the conversation sort of went like this. Uh, they, they said, well, you know, I, I'm still really looking for what it is that God wants me to do. A very legitimate sort of question thing in her late 20s, and I was talking with her. And, I, and I, I said, well, you know, here's the thing. I think you already know what God wants you to do. And I think it has very little to do with something tangible that you go and get paid for. And I think a lot of times we're just like that. We sort of look at the wrong things. Why am I here? We think, well, I'm here to do this. And in my case, I may think, well, well I, you know, I was created to be the pastor of a church. I, I was created formally to be a baseball coach and a teacher. That was my purpose. And yet, when those things change, do you lose your purpose? Does your value then go away? How do you you deal with all that? And so we're going to get back to what God's original design is for our purpose. I hope so far I haven't lost you and confused you, but I want you to understand that there is a distinct difference between what you do occupationally and really why you're here. There is a distinct difference. And so whether or not you work now, whether or not you like your work now, whether or not you are able to work or have yet to start or have retired or whatever, understand that we're not talking tonight about making the most of your job and getting more out of your employment and all that stuff. We're talking about why are you really here? And so I want us to, to look at from God's Word what I believe will, will help us and shed some light on the very reason why we're here and what we're really supposed to be doing. It goes far beyond anything we can do that makes us a living. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 again, and we'll start there. Sort of starting today, starting tonight, where we left off this morning, including a couple of verses, look at verse 26 of Genesis 1. This is right after, of course, God has created everything else in the earth except man. And so we pick up the story here. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Look at the next next few verses. Look at verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all of the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Evening came, and then morning the sixth day. So immediately after God says, well, let, let us make man, talking about in our image, a precursor to the idea of the Trinity, which I'm not going to try to fully explain because if anybody thinks they can fully explain all that, they're probably fooling you because nobody can explain all of that stuff. It's just one of those mysteries about God I think maybe we'll know in heaven or maybe we'll never know. It's just God being God. And so, but when he says, let us make man in our image, he immediately follows that up with, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. There there was something about being made in the image of God that then carried with it the responsibility to go and do and to be something. Adam and Eve, as they they were created here, were then given the charge. Here is your purpose. Here's what you're supposed to be about. First of all, they were the the image of God, which means basically they're little statues of God. They're his representatives. Uh, really, uh, there, there are debates about this. Was it is it because we have a spirit? Is it because that we, we somehow look like God? Does he look like us to, physically somehow? To, uh, is it because of our nature? And, and at, a, at a very basic level, we can know that being created in the image of God, uh, though God is a spirit and takes really no physical form, we, we know that certainly we do have a spirit. Yeah, that may be part of it, but at a very basic level, the idea is that we are small little images, little representatives for God here on earth. And so as a result of that, we are then to operate according to the purpose that He had from the very beginning. And so I'd like to give you just a couple of things that that we can look at tonight and I think can understand. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What what does that mean? How do, how do we reconcile that? Jeremy, can you check and see if you can turn off all the other wireless receivers except the one that's for this one? I don't know if we've got them on or not. We'll, we'll try that anyway. What is it that we can take away from the fact, if we are created in God's image, what difference does that make? If the first one that I, that I want, if you're taking notes, just write this down. If not, no big deal. But We talked a little bit about this this morning as we end. First of all, the idea that you're, you're formed and, and made in God's image indicates that you are valued, very much valued. It's interesting in uh, verses, look at chapter 2, verse 4. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So this kind of backs up another record of creation. But water would come from the ground, and water would, and, and water the entire surface of the land. Then, verse 7, the Lord formed the man out of the dust of the, from the ground and breathed the breath of life in his nostrils. And the man became a living being. Because you were created as God's representative, He took time. Understand that that the Bible describes the creation of man very differently than any other creation. In all the others, God spoke, it seems, almost in every instance, God spoke something into existence. The light, the waters, everything that grew, He spoke it into existence. But when He created us, He did something a little different. Out of the dust of the ground, formed us, shaped us, and then, different than any other creation, breathed himself, breathed himself the very breath of life into the nostrils of the very first man. There's something of value that we have that no, no other creation has. We are created in the image of God to be his representatives, and we see very easily that he specifically designed Adam and Eve. It wasn't an accident that he was made the way he was. It wasn't uh, any, any sort of thing like that. And the same, obviously, is true for you and true for me. And so Adam was specifically designed for the purpose that God wanted him to fulfill. Uh, and, and, and God didn't give this, this task of subduing the earth and reigning over and all that. He didn't give that to anybody else. Follow me for just a second. He gave that specifically to Adam. There's no other creation that has the purpose and has the idea of being the image of God, the representative of God, than us so then what, what then does that lead us to? Part of it is that our worth comes from the fact that God created us, that He loves us, uh, that He gave us a purpose then greater than any other uh, creation. And He gave us a purpose, I think, greater than many of us experience today. I think many of us fall short of our true purpose because we see it as only what we do for a living. And if we can get a bigger picture of things, a bigger view of it, then we maybe won't feel so useless or so worthless if we're not in the workforce or if we're not producing something or if our financial status is a little lower than what we'd like it to be. I think if we understand this next principle, I think we'll shed some light on our our purpose. First of all, you are valued. Because you are God's representative here on earth, you are valued. Secondly, and this is very simple, you have purpose. There's something for you to do. As God's representative, you've got something to be about. And, and I think it's to be about the things that God is about, and He was about, even from the very beginning. And, and, and I want us to draw our attention to this just, just for a, a second. What were the things, what was God's purpose through all of this? And, and through this, I think we'll see that this sort of mirrors the purpose that, that we ought to have. I, one thing that, that strikes me is that His purpose was to create order from either nothing or from chaos. Now, I coach a t-ball team, and each practice so far, we've had two, my job has been to create order from absolute chaos. There are 14 four- and five-year-old little kids on my team, only two of which I'm related to, which means only two are going to answer to my threats. That's it. I've got two that I can threaten. I've got two that I can look at, and they just You know, still, I'm still in that stage of life. You know, I know as they get older, that doesn't happen anymore. So I'm really soaking it up right now. And so, but my job, each practice is to create order from chaos. They come and they're just bouncing off the walls. So the first thing we do is I let them bounce off the walls. We have this little exercise that we do. And I have a whistle in my mouth. And I say, anytime I blow the whistle, you've got two things to do. Number one is freeze. Number two is listen. And I say, between the, the whistles, you can run on this field anywhere you want to. And it's hilarious. They're knocking each other over. They're running around. And none of them are looking where they're running. You know, they're looking up here. They're looking down. You know, they're just running around. Bang. You know, and then I blow the whistle. They freeze. Or they fall down or something. You know, and they freeze. And then, and then as the practice progresses, my job is to somehow take 14 four- and five-year-olds along with the help of lots of big dudes, the biggest guys I can find. We've got one really big guy who's a dad. I love him. And his name is Frank. And, and I, I, tell, I tell them all, if you don't do what what you're supposed to, Frank's going to get you. You know, and so they're all doing. My job is to create order from chaos. It was interesting at our first practice Friday night. We had a, a boy on our team who apparently he had to go to the potty, and so uh, instead of of trying to find the potty, he just decided the field was good enough. And so you, the scream from his mother in the stands was. Distinguishable above any whistle I could have blown at that point And she was fast right after that, too And so eventually, I think they made it behind somewhere else But, you know, that's what I'm dealing with Uh, You know, Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 2 Now the earth was formless and empty There was nothing there God's job, His purpose Was to create some order from nothing and then when we messed it up by sin, he had to go with the chaos that had ensued and then regain order again. God's purpose was to, was to create order from chaos. And, and it's interesting in the creation story as you sort of play this out and kind of follow it along. The first thing God starts to, to do is to kind of create this container. And then he starts filling it up. And he, and he over, over those six days of creation, fills it up a little bit more each day, a little bit more, adds some things here and there. He's bringing more order over time. There's nothing in this story about God creating chaos from something that was already in order or somehow chaos created this situation. So one of God's purposes, one of the things he was about, was about creating order from chaos, Each one of these that we look at that God was about, I want you to reflect on in in your own life and in my life. Is what I'm about reflect what God was about? Think about your situations, maybe in your home life, maybe at work, maybe wherever you are. Are you about creating order from what could potentially be chaotic or, or empty or formless? I think it's awful easy sometimes just to sort of throw a little more fuel on the fire and keep the chaos going. But we see from God that he is always about creating order, bringing, bringing things back to the way they ought to be. Another thing that God exhibited in all of this was love for his creation. Over and over, uh, we, we see that, that God saw that, what? It was good. You, you almost sense his heart going out and saying, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what I've been... That's what I I spoke it and there it is. And I, I love that. That's good. He was in love with His creation. In verses 28 to 31, we just read that. He, he blessed Adam and Eve. He extended His blessing to them. He said, go and be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. There, there's nothing unloving about any of that. God's almost standing there. Go. That's what I've created you to do. I love my creation. You can, you can sense God saying... And then then later on in verse 18 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Imagine this process. We think that it was probably just in an instant. Adam's got all the animals lined up. I mean, think about it. It took a while. Trying to sort through all the animals. you got some easy ones. Cat. Move that one out of the way. Good. Dog. Very good. Where do you come up with rhinoceros? Where do you come up with hippopotamus? But he's naming all the animals, this process over and over. And the whole point of all that was to find somebody that would match up to him because God loved him enough to not leave him alone to say, I want somebody there to help you. And then we see in verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found. Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over him, and he took one of his ribs. Verse 22, and and we see that he formed the woman for Adam. He loved Adam enough. He loved his creation to bless it, to, to help it prosper, to give it something good. God brought order from chaos. He brought love for his creation. He also brought righteousness. If you know the story, which many of us probably do, God had a standard. He said, you know what? You can eat from all this stuff. But this one over here, don't touch it. Don't go there. You know, it's interesting. We kind of think, well, you know, God's kind of harsh on them. I have no idea how big the Garden of Eden was. We were talking one tree. One tree, he said, no. The whole rest of it was unbelievable. All this stuff. And God just said, look, stay away from this one. Sometimes in our lives, we we think, and this may be a side note, but we think, you know, God's just trying to keep me from all this stuff. But all he said is, look, just, just one tree, that's it. Rest of the stuff, go enjoy it. Have a great life in the garden. One tree, there were some parameters around it. And there was a standard, a line that would not be crossed. And there would eventually be, as we see in chapter 3, consequences for their sins. So God brought righteousness to the situation. God also, and I think is one of the more powerful verses in Genesis, though it's often overlooked and not looked at it this way, God brought grace early on. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew his wife intimately, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Verse 2. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. And may say, well, that doesn't sound real powerful. I mean, that's just talking about normal things that happen between a husband and wife. Big deal. They have, they have children. But this comes right after they had sinned. This comes right after God lays down the punishment and the consequences for sin. And to me, this shows the incredible grace of God that He could have wiped them out, started completely over. But in the very next chapter, the first verse, we see God's blessing on them, His grace. Surely, absolutely, they would eventually die and pay for their sins. But life followed these consequences. God was about bringing grace to the situation. And so, for me, as I continue to sort of work through this and try to understand... If that's God's purpose, if He brought certain things to the situation, if when God created the world, he, he brought order into it, He brought righteousness, He brought love, He brought grace, what then am I about? My question then is, what then are, are you about? Why are you really here? Why am I really here? Surely, to goodness, it's more than just collecting a paycheck. Surely, it's more than just what I do for a living and I think, I think as I look at my own life, and here, here's what I want you to get. All that kind of sets up this, this idea. I, I've identified, and I'm still working through it, and, and I hope God continues to shape me on this. I've identified four things about me that I want to bring to everything that I do. Every interaction I have, every conversation, everything that I do in front of you, or when I'm with my children or my wife, any, 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 any encounter that I have. And, and, and here's what I want to challenge you. I want you, As you think of these, you can either steal them if you want to. Well, he took my answer, fine. Or, or I want you to consider coming up with a list, a very short list of things that you can, from this moment on, leaving here tonight, going to work, going home, going to school, wherever you may be going, You say, you know what, this is what I'm about. These four things, these three things, whatever it may be, this is what I'm going to bring to every interaction. Let me, let me give you my four, that I believe this is why God has put me here. Not just here at Elm Grove, but just here on the planet. These are things that I've identified through my experiences, through what God has done in my heart, and they continue to be shaped, and they may change. They may morph just a little bit. But these are the things that this is my purpose. Here they are. One thing is grace. I think people just need a break in life. They just need to be let off the hook. You probably have had folks who just weren't very gracious towards you, and you always felt some weird kind of pressure around them that you just, you know what, don't you just got to be a certain way around that person, or they're just not going to let you off the hook. I want to be somebody who just lets people off the hook. God's let me off the hook. Jesus paid the price for me. Who in the world am I to not let other people off the hook? And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying that's hard, but that's what I want to be about. And when every interaction, that's who I want to be toward people. I want to be just grace personified, as best I can be a reflection of God's grace to other people. And so that's one of the things that, I, that I, is in my mind every time I talk to somebody. What does this person... How can I apply grace to whatever they're going through? How, how can I just be a conduit for God to flow through me in that way? That, that's one, one of my purposes. Another is this. Another is encouragement. I, I, I want to be a person who, when people walk away from having an interaction with me, they feel a little bit better about what's going on. Their situation's probably not going to change because I'm not God. I can't fix it all. But if they can maybe feel just a little bit lifted up, just elevated just a tad, then I don't feel like I've fulfilled my purpose. Maybe you know folks like that, and you just leave their presence. You just think, you know what? Man, I'm glad the Lord put me in their path tonight. And the flip side is also true. We know people, you just you avoid like the plague because they're just discouraging. You don't talk to them. They got nothing good going on. You know, I mean, we know people like that. Nobody in this room, of course. Don't elbow anybody. Don't point anybody out. But that's what I want to be, encouragement. Another is this. I told you I've got four words. Another is truth. Every interaction I have, I want to bring truth to that situation. And that may be truth from the Word of God. That may be just truth about that person. I want to stand on truth. I don't want to believe lies in my life anymore. I don't want to believe lies about other people. I want to bring truth and help people see the truth about them, who God says they are. And, and my fourth one is, is understanding. I want to bring understanding to a situation. One of the principles that I try to live by is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And that's hard, because I like to talk. I get paid to talk. And it's sometimes very difficult for me to wait to understand first. You can ask my wife. It is difficult. But one of the purposes I think that God has put me here on the planet for is to help understand other people to validate them as a person. I may not agree, but to understand them, understand their lives, the context. Why are they here where they are? And so those are four things that I believe make up the foundation of my purpose. None of those are tied to me being a pastor. Not a single one of them. All of them, though, are tied to me being a Christian. Every one of them. And so my purpose goes far beyond me being a pastor. In the last 10 years since Nancy and I got married, I've worked at five different places. I've only done basically, well, I guess three, if you count two different careers, so to speak, in ministry. But I was first a teacher at Butler Traditional High School in Louisville, Kentucky. Taught there for one year. Transferred from there to Pleasure Ridge Park High School. I left there after three years, went into ministry at Valley View Church as a youth pastor. From there, we left and we went to Woodstock, Georgia. And I was on staff at Bridgepoint Church. as what's called the Next Generation Pastor. From there, we came here. And so, in a sense, I guess I've had three different careers, five different places I've worked in ten years. Now, I, I don't know what that all means. So I have no idea what kind of pattern that is. I, I don't anticipate anything. like you know. I don't read anything into it except this. That if my purpose is tied only to what I'm doing to get paid, and it's going to change quite often. I don't know how, God, how long God will allow us to stay here. I, maybe till I retire, till I die. I have no idea. I, you know, I don't know. But I want my purpose no matter where I am. No matter who I'm around. No matter if I'm standing in front of you or at Walmart in the line behind somebody in the 20 items line with 50 items. Whatever it is. You know, some of you are that person. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm back there. I'm with you. <clears throat> I want my purpose to be far beyond anything I do for a living. That way, no matter what, I'm fulfilling what God put me here for. So think about it. Think about it. God's purpose, He brought order from chaos, He brought grace, He brought love, He brought righteousness. What are you bringing? What are you bringing to every situation? What you bring is who you are, not what you do. God cares. More, I would say infinitely more, about who you are than what you do. And I mean vocationally, uh, occupationally, what you do. He cares about who you are. So what is it that you're bringing? Because if you can figure that out, those three or four things, here it is. Then it doesn't matter if you've yet to start working. It doesn't matter if you've lost your job. It doesn't matter if you're retired. It doesn't matter if you're disabled. Because your purpose never changes. You were created to be the image, the representative of God. Because of that, you have value. Because of that, you have purpose. I guarantee you, if you were to ask somebody that's close to you, what do you think I bring to every situation? There are people in this room that, as I look at you, there are words that come to mind. They're all good. There are words that come to mind about you and what you bring to just interactions with me. I think of just encouragement. I think of simplicity and some. I think of just just a smile. Those are some things I think. What do you bring? Ask the people that are closest to you. They'll tell you. When I'm around you, I, I, I sense this. When I see you interact with people, I see you doing this. They'll tell you. That'll give some light to what your purpose is. So you are valued. You have a purpose. And when you discover it, maybe those three or four words. Some of you already got your mind turning right now. I'll say this. I have a, a good friend who they, they absolutely hate their job. Just hate it and have for years. I think this will help in a job maybe that you hate. I think this will give you a different light, a different lens to see things from, just as a side note. So if you figure those things out, give me a copy of it. I'd like to know what we're bringing. Uh, Just think of it. If you write it down on a piece of paper, here's, here's what I'm bringing. You don't have to put your name on it. I just want to know what are we bringing to our community? What are we bringing to the lost people in our world? Send me an email. I'd love to just make a list and next week read them for the folks who weren't able to be here tonight. Here's what we're bringing. Here's our purpose. This is what we do. It has nothing to do with what we do for a living. Here's who we are. So because we are the image of God, His represents, we're valued, we have purpose. And then finally, as i closed up this morning, we're accountable. Because if we recognize our purpose and don't fulfill it, then I truly believe that somehow that God's got to be pretty disappointed with that. And, and, and I don't know, I don't have a particular verse on this that says if you don't fulfill the purpose and the four words that God just brought to your mind that you're a sinner and I, it's not even the point. But how much will we be lacking from our world if we don't fulfill our purpose? God has placed His stamp on you, created you to mirror Him, and as a result, we're accountable to Him. Maybe you can rise above your current circumstances because you see that because you are in the image of God, You have great value, you have purpose, so you're accountable to God to fulfill that purpose. Trust me, as I wrote these four things down, and I then went to that deacon's meeting, as I then walked in here, as I will walk out, as I will talk with my wife, my children, those four things are going to be on my mind. Am I bringing that in every situation? It's real easy to do that from up here, not so much when I'm personal with other people. And so you know, I, I think that if we can get back to the box, the original design, if we can get back to that, and we can understand that our purpose is not just tied to what we do for a living, but it goes far beyond that. You bring those things in every encounter, every situation, I got a feeling you'll have something to live for. You got a feeling you'll see yourself in a different light. And I got a feeling people like being around you and they'll understand this person lives for something bigger than them. They may hate their job, but they've got some purpose while they're here at work. They may be retired, but you know what? They don't let that slow them down from impacting this world. They may just be in high school, but you know what? They see things from a bigger perspective. They're not here just to take up space and breathe air. I'd love to be around a whole bunch of people, not just the ones in this room, but let's rub off on other people. In our community, in our church, who have a greater purpose than just what we do for a living. I'd like to close in prayer, and and again, I want you to give some thought to what it is that you're here for, your purpose, maybe those four words, maybe a sentence, this is why I exist, and if you think about it, give me a copy, I'd just like to know what we're bringing, I'd like to be able to talk about that, and help other people see what their purpose really is, so let's close in prayer, and we'll have a song at the end.